I used to say that running a company as a startup, you're probably making decisions based on 20% of the required information. And that is an extremely hard thing to do. So that's the edge of discomfort that you are always constantly uh, living, I would say, on, on a day-to-day basis. And unfortunately, you lose a lot of sleep because of that. At Conigo, we are proud to help amazing entrepreneurs run great businesses. We've learned that the greatest superpower a business owner can have to run a high-performing business is doing things in spite of, i.e. in spite of great difficulties. Hi, I'm Constance, and welcome to the Doing In Spite Of podcast, where we feature business owners and share their learnings. In today's episode, we have Teguan Tan, ex-CEO of DS3, a business he built and ran for 11 years. He now advises hundreds of entrepreneurs at Entrepreneur First, a startup talent accelerator, all while working on his PhD. Wow. Taekwon, it's great to have you here today. Thank you, Constance. How have you been during COVID-19? It's been great, actually. Doing my PhD was really a soul-searching experience for myself and being isolated and doing a lot of stuff by yourself, having the time to do it has worked out actually much better for me than expected. Yeah, I was going to come to that. Usually people drop out of academia to start a business, and yet you have gone the reverse route. Why? I've been wanting to do a PhD from, I would say, almost 10, 15 years ago when I was doing my startup. I explored the option, and now that the the, the startup is uh, gone and done, I would say, Um, and I have time on my hands. I don't have to worry about the bills that I have to pay on a daily basis, then why not, right? Do you think your PhD would help you find an idea for your next business? Or is it more to help move the frontier in your area of research? I would say it's closer to the second point rather than the first thing. I mean, I'm not going in to do my PhD simply to find the next venture, I think. I think that venture building ideation process needs to go through a more deliberate process where there is a lot more commercial thinking, there's a lot more in problem definition. While in the academia space, then the focus is more on rigor, the focus is on novelty and and really trying to challenge yourself. So fundamentally different, although the topics may come up there, I would say that I'm not yet thinking about a next venture if there is. It will probably distract me so much I wouldn't complete my PhD. So, so that's, that's something I'm very mindful of myself. As entrepreneurs, we are always excited about new ideas and things to do, but having the self-awareness and discipline to stay focused in spite of the distractions, is one of the greatest strengths. Teguan chose to focus on his PhD and actively avoids thinking of entrepreneurial ventures. He recognizes how seemingly related work can hurt his PhD efforts. Steve Jobs famously spoke about the importance of focus. In his second stint at Apple in 1997, he spoke about how Apple had, quote, people that were going off in 18 different directions doing arguably interesting things in each one of them. Good engineers, lousy management. Focusing is about saying no. And a result of that focus is going to be some really great products where the total is much greater than the sum of the parts. End quote. Being able to focus in spite of distractions is truly a superpower for the business owner. From the power of focus, we now discuss the power of adaptability. Let's continue our discussion with Tiguan. 
You mentioned that you had to make a critical business change or pivot during your last business. What happened? I would say that it wasn't just one instance. Uh, we we had to pivot our business model and, and change our product over the time because there were problems that came in that were always multifaceted. We had the SARS that happened in the 2003-2004 time. We had the global financial crisis that happened in the 2007-2008 uh, to mention a few. And during those times, we, we had to really push ourselves. Thankfully, we, were, we managed to get through it. If I were to quote Winston Churchill, right? Don't waste a good crisis. We strung our product, we changed uh, quite a few things and in fact changed even our pricing model to, to suit what the target customer wanted. Let's get a bit deeper on how knowing your own strengths and weaknesses and acting swiftly to cut losses is the key to business growth. This is more relevant than ever in a crisis like this. Could you tell us more about the one time you decided to work with your competitor? Maybe I would just give a little background story of what I've done. And in spite of what everyone else tells you rightly or wrongly, it changed the way we looked at things. And this was when we built our first product back way back in 2003. We put in our R&D, we built it, uh, we spent about a good uh, um, nine months to a year building that product out. And we were in a RFP bid for a bank where we submitted our product and submitted our bid. And at that point of time, what happened was that we were faced with the, I would say, the industry leader here. And the way we thought we could win the leader was to really underprice the leader. So our pricing was essentially half of what the competitor was charging. We felt that, you know, since we were local, we had both the locality advantage as well as the pricing advantage. And unfortunately, we were on track to lose the deal because we, there were a lot of considerations that were not put in place. First of all, the bank wasn't a fully local bank. It was a subsidiary of a larger global bank. And because the global bank was already using our, the, our competitor's product, it was a no-brainer. And we were extremely demoralized and, and we felt that we did everything right. We even felt that our product was better, but we couldn't win the deal. This was when we we really pivoted. I mean, you ask yourself, what were you very good at doing? On hindsight, this sounds like a great story, but I'll be frank with you, it wasn't easy. I, I, I had long conversations with, with, with the bank manager and he, he told me this, DS3, you guys are really good at providing a complete turnkey service. You guys are really good at getting the back end done. But this product is really a, a front-end device and you have you have no track record here, I cannot give it to you. That's just it. And this was when I understood this, the word pivot perhaps never came to my mind then. I mean, it, it seems to be a lot more fashionable nowadays to, to call this word, but it was something that struck me to say that you really need to work on what you're really, really good at. This is the edge that you have. And if you work towards your edge, then, then you can definitely do well. So we pivoted the product. We pivoted along the, the edge that we have, which is the backend server. Long story short, the, the customer eventually split the project into two. We, we deployed the backend. We worked with our competitor who deployed the front end. And this became a very happy problem for us because uh, subsequently from there, we got good references and we managed to sell to even more. This realization for Tech Guan as to what his business's real strength was and acting swiftly to cut his losses helped him truly unlock success for his company. In his own words, he says, This was an example, I would say, 
where you really need to understand when you try to pivot. We gave up a good six to nine months of R&D work when we built our, our front-end device and we gave it all up. Although we spent a lot of resources on it, uh, this was not what we were good at. We were always good in the backend. And if you pivot along your backend and you focus on it and change the way you then engage the market, you can actually do well. Teguan was not held down by previous beliefs or swayed by sunken costs. Adaptability helped him swiftly pivot to a new strategy. And focus helped him commit to his company's strengths. This superpower turned the tide for his business and gave it the momentum it needed to grow. Teguan also shared his concerns for SMEs today as they tried to adapt to COVID-19 and its new normal. Yeah, I'm hoping to speak a bit about the whole pivoting side of things, which has been really top of my mind. Um, something that has been irritating me for a while. Many of the, much of the mainstream information that's being spread out there, you know, criticizing in, in some ways or telling businesses that, hey, you guys should just be considering a new business model. You guys should pivot to online or pivot to e-commerce or pivot to something that's virtual. And that should be the way to solve COVID. And I'll give you an even more fundamental example, right? I mean, if there is this little coffee shop that's around the corner and, and this coffee shop gets great business because of the locality of this coffee shop, not because of the food, then asking this little coffee shop to go online really just doesn't make sense. The business owner for this coffee shop needs to understand that this is a, a physical advantage that the business has and how he or she can take advantage of it is more important than simply just going online and trying to trying to get grabbed to do their food. Because we understand that when we start to go online, marketing, branding, and a lot of other considerations that many business owners have not actually put a lot of emphasis in comes into play in a much bigger way. So that's something that I feel the, the mainstream information that's out there is not doing a lot of justice to many of the SMEs who might unfortunately be burnt because of this. It, it, it's, it's very close to my heart and it's very scary when such uh, broad recommendations come out without really helping the business owners think about why you go online and what, what needs to be done in, in order for that to happen. But during a crisis, time is of the essence. How do you make these big decisions that impact your company so much? especially when things are so uncertain. I, I used to say that running a company as a startup, you're probably making decisions based on 20% of the required information. And that is an extremely hard thing to do. You're making a lot of decisions, both small as well as key decisions across a short and medium-term time frame. And you are very mindful that good decisions bring the company forward very far but a single bad decision can essentially crash a company. So that's the edge of discomfort that you are always constantly uh, living, I would say, on, on a day-to-day -day basis. And unfortunately, you lose a lot of sleep because of that. And, and I would say that the best decisions, unfortunately, tend to be the ones that you take a sometimes a contrarian view, or as how we put it in the topic here, in spite of. Taking decisions in spite of a lack of information and being able to stay sane even with discomfort, is truly a superpower for the business owner. I think this is a good point to segue to what you do today, which is that you now advise hundreds of entrepreneurs. What's key for a business to overcome challenges and find success? It's a deliberate 
position that I do when I advise uh, um, many of the startups is that I don't look at the founders as as part of a company, but the founders as individuals themselves. So, so if we have the innate belief that founders or individuals themselves can really grow something and grow an entity to, to something bigger than themselves and in fact change the world because of that, and working with them towards that goal itself, it allows these individuals to, to make decisions themselves that will really benefit the company. So, so it cannot be that me telling this founder that this should be the way the company is going on. That should be the way or you should do it, you should price it this way or you should not sell to that customer. That's, that's not how advice should be given. I mean, we, we want the founder to, he or she himself, to, to understand the implications when certain decisions are made and whether the current startup or the current entity is on track to benefit from the decision or to, in fact, unfortunately, on, on the downside, maybe he has, he or she has to close down that company and restart another so that bigger or better outcome can happen. It, it comes across a little abstract right now, but uh, I believe that it's not so much a specific startup that can be successful, but more of a founder that can be successful. And if I help the founder be successful, then at some point of time, he or she will be successful whether or not it is this startup or the next startup that he or she works on. It's the driver of the car, not necessarily car, right? Precisely. So it's the business owner that is fundamental to the success of any business. They are the driver of the car, or the captain of the ship, so to speak. At Conical, we deeply think about how we can help our users run mindful businesses. And we found that helping business owners be mindful of where their business is puts the business owner in a better position to make good decisions. This is also a philosophy you put in practice during your DS3 days. Can you share how you use this approach when your business was growing? It's really a difference in, I would say, perception, right? Do, do you believe that people make the company or the company makes the people? At some point of time, uh, there is this shift that, that happens when we were much smaller, you know, it seems that the company was the, the central beacon that you know, everyone just ran around it. And we used the company to move the people forward. But as we grew and, and we started to have more employees and obviously more ex-employees as well, um, it, it started to have a mind of its own where everyone looked at the company in a different way and everyone contributed to both the culture as well as the growth of the company. When that happens, you realize that at different levels, the, the company is able to progress beyond what a single CEO or, or even a management team can do and become really just on its own, really because of the people. At least that was the, the experience I had. And, and I'm really, really thankful for, for many of the employees, of which many of them are still my friends and, and we still keep in good, good contact with each other. And if I were to then go back to how you said a mindful business itself, it, it reminds me of this, this one time when, uh, okay, this many few times that I got scolded by my employees. I can name two. The first was very much in the, I would say, the customer interaction standpoint. Bear in mind that when I was running a company from something so small as, as a, as a three-four-man three, three, team to something as big as a 40-50 person company, I, I still held on to a lot of the very niche uh, uh, thinking where 
I engage very closely with many of our early customers. They could call me anytime in the night and I will respond to them. And typically, I say yes to everything they ask me to do. And so my service manager gave me a scolding. She, she said that, can you please stop saying yes to everything that your customer tells you? She's saying no because the customer is being unreasonable. And the customer says, if you say no, I'll just call Take One and he will say yes. <laughs> so... <laughs> And, and I, I think that was a wake-up call for me. I mean, my service manager has taken on more responsibility and more, I would say, ownership of the company than I was prepared to recognize. And I was very, very thankful for that. She was willing to say no because that was the right thing to do. Wow. So you were just essentially getting scolded by your employees. I'm not sure how many business owners would have taken it like you did. So what were your thoughts initially when it happened and what changed for you? I would say that uh, it hit me at two levels, right? On the first level, the culture of the company, which I was building unconsciously, allowed for this communication to happen. And I'm very thankful for that. Because of this, uh, I would say I, I definitely had to spend at least a bit of time to think about what was the feedback that came, that came to me. I mean, feedback in the, in the way of scolding, but the feedback that came to me. On the other hand, uh, I would have to re-examine then the way I deal with the, the, my existing customers. And I would say the biggest change I, I did for, for this was, in fact, to restructure the company. So in the past, it was very much me making most of the decisions and the team then really running and carrying out those decisions. I restructured the team. It wasn't to really create a hierarchy, but to allow them to have this means to, to have their say in this, this organization. You want a company that can really grow beyond what you could do, re-examining your role and, and really evolving as the company evolves. I would say quite often what a business owner does for a company when it is a, a five or 10 man company versus a CEO when the company is a 50 or 100 man company. It's very different. And if you do not have the sufficient awareness or if I were to follow the, the theme of this conversation, which is if you don't have the mindfulness both internally and externally to remind yourself where the company is, where your customers are and, and what your customers' customers are actually doing. And if you do not have this awareness all the time and reminding you of what has changed, then you don't grow. And that unfortunately becomes a dangerous path that spirals towards the negative side of things. Another anecdote that I want to highlight was, uh, which was the pricing issue. Me being from the technical side, and I still retain a bit of my technical uh, background, I was very close to the product design and the product development side of things. I mean, it, it, it felt like my baby and, and I, I held it very close to my heart. And I think I realized as a product manager, I would say I sort of looked at it as my baby. And therefore, I almost want everyone to love my baby. When I was engaging with some of our customers and we were doing a lot of uh, price negotiations or price discussions, I practically would sell my baby for any price that my customer was prepared to pay for. <laughs> and I didn't dare to ask for more because I would prefer that he loves my baby than that he pays me more for my baby. And, and that was, again, a point that my sales manager he didn't tell me upfront when he went out there to the same customer and he sold it at twice the price I could sell it. 
that was again a, a very big eye-opener for me that I realized that I was too close to the product itself, that, that I couldn't detach myself and work as a, a company rather than simply as, as an individual. So that was also another point where my employees and my partners actually taught me more than I asked for. It's great that you touched on pricing because it truly is a great lever to improve a company's bottom line, as it eventually did for DS3. Mastering it is really a superpower for the business owner. What should you get right in order to set optimized, profitable prices? I mean, for SMEs, I would say one of the hardest things to do is pricing, right? And especially in industries where the price or the value is not quite obvious, sometimes you question yourself too much when you put a bid in front of a customer. And then when the customer starts to negotiate and it starts to bang the table, either virtually or physically, you start to get scared. And therefore, I get scared myself. And therefore, I... I err on the side of saying, never mind. It's my product. I can take the hit. And as long as he or she remains my customer. As you start to grow to a mid-sized organization, you realize that this is no longer feasible. I mean, there, there are these operational costs that will go on. And these costs will eat into not just your bottom line, but to the very existence of your company. And so pricing became a process that we had to relearn from scratch. We had to test our pricing. It was at that time when we were also exploring how to expand abroad. And you start to realize that pricing, even for a simple product across different markets within Singapore, within Southeast Asia, individually in different countries, even Japan and US and Europe, all different. And how are you able to maintain a coherent price and yet still have different pricing? That is a lot of work to do something that's so fundamentally important to your business. Yes. The pricing of a product. Precisely. And with you, you try expanding. I mean, even the, the price of a product in Singapore versus Malaysia versus Indonesia versus Thailand. Oh my God, it's so difficult. I would say that even today, I probably will get pricing wrong. So it's a constant struggle. The good thing about today is that I would say there's a lot more data out there. If you look back at what happened maybe 10, 15 years ago, uh, the only pricing that you could get were certain competitor price sheets that you hopefully managed to scrape off the internet. Before we continue, here's a quick shout out from Conigal. If you're an offline business having an online store, Conigal helps you optimize your pricing, track competitor prices, and understand your profit margins. All of this is packaged in an all-in-one software that helps you manage orders, inventory, and customers. Sign up at www.conigal.com D-I-S-O and get a free demo to know how. Of all the superpowers we spoke about today, we believe doing in spite of is the greatest human superpower. Do you agree with this statement and how has taking this approach affected your life and your businesses? Wow. I would say on the very superficial basis, I'm a relatively publicity-shy person. And in spite of me trying to stay under the radar, I feel extremely compelled to come out and do this podcast with Conical and, and Concerns Yourself. Because I feel that there is a lot more potential than what we see right now. And if we simply follow what the mainstream people are telling you what to do, then businesses are just going to be at best, business as usual. And if we want both Singapore and the greater part of Asia and the world to, to really become more than what we are, 
then taking on this approach of in spite what other people are doing, you have to choose your own pathway. You have to understand what other people are doing. You have to understand your situation. In simple Mandarin terms, right? Understanding both yourself, understanding what other people are doing, understanding what the situation is, and then projecting yourself forward. Really, if it needs you to take decisions in spite of what everyone else tells you what to do, then please go do it. It's the only way to really break through and get to the next stage. Teguan, thank you for coming down today and sharing this with us. These have been really good lessons to ponder on. I'll see you around. Thank you. 2020 has been a trial by fire for business owners across the world, but it has also created windows of opportunity for business owners. Teguan showed us the power of staying focused, adapting swiftly, and being mindful of your business. These superpowers help us do things in spite of and find success against the odds. Thank you for listening. I'm Constance, and we'll see you in the next episode. Take care.